Thank you, Mike. Uh, you did those names wonderfully. <laughs> so um, today, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about one word, and that's the word diakonos. I thought of entitling this a one-word sermon, but if I did that, I think a lot of you would probably be getting up and leaving by now and heading for the cake. But this is a sermon about one word, and my objective is to build a bridge between the teaching of Christ that Mike just read for us and what happened earlier in this service when we installed Ed as our newest deacon. And the bridge that I'm building is built on that word, diakonos. It is a Greek word, and it means servant. It's where we obviously get the word deacon from. And it is a word that's found all through the New Testament. In John chapter 2, the household servants, diakonos, were sent to bring jars of water at the wedding feast in Cana. In Romans 13, diakonos is used to describe civil authorities that we should respect because they are installed by God and they are servants of God. Diakonos is used to describe Paul and Apollos as servants of Christ in teaching and preaching. And Diakonos is used in Romans 16 to describe Phoebe as a servant in the church at Centuria. So what I want to do is look at how Christ taught about that word. And we're going to look at Matthew 20, 25 through 28, the passage that Mike just read for us and the teaching to Christ and his disciples. And I believe that this teaching is at the heart of the word diakonos, and I believe it's at the heart of Christ's teaching. He was teaching a philosophy to them and to us, a radical new way of thinking about our lives and the lives of others. And, you know, the world, our society, our human nature respects seeks power. It seeks to exercise power. The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercised authority over them. Plato, the Greek philosopher, wrote, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? So what do we value in our culture? Power, influence, status, wealth, you know, you're not going to go on Reddit and find a list of the 10 most influential servants. You're going to read about the 10 most influential people in Hollywood, the most powerful people in Washington. That's what you're going to hear about. That's what the word values. And so exercising power and wielding influence are the things that matter in this world. And we can think about it in our own lives. But Christ said, it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant, diakonos, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So Jesus unequivocally declares the importance of service and submission for his followers. He is aiming at nothing less than changing the way that we live and changing the way we think about life. He's about changing the standards and the values of our life and our conduct. But simply declaring radical truth like that isn't enough. And as a good teacher, Jesus also demonstrated what servanthood and service look like. And for that, I want to look at John 13, and starting in verse 1. It's a passage that's going to be familiar to many of you. 
Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So, this is a passage again, as one in Matthew, where Jesus is alone with his disciples, and he's giving them further teaching about what it means to be a servant. And it was really a stunning act of service that he did. You've heard it before, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but washing feet was the most menial task, and it was almost always reserved for the non-Jewish slaves of the household to do that. And I'm not going to belabor the point, but there are also parallels between Jesus getting up from the table of fellowship, taking off the robe, putting on a servant's towel. There are parallels between that and between his whole ministry of leaving the fellowship of heaven, exchanging his heavenly form for that of a created being, and living a life of humility. Those things are all true. This is the first of his last discourse with the disciples. It began with this act of service, and he continued to talk and instruct them before he went to the cross. And that discourse ended in what is John chapter 17 in the series that Phil just finished preaching from in the high priestly prayer. This is the beginning, and that prayer was the end of his final discourse with his servants, with his disciples. So it's very important. And there are just a couple of things I want to point out about this passage. The context was not only the private and personal dinner with his 12 disciples. It was also, as the passage said, that time that Jesus knew his hour had come and that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So think of what that meant. He knew that he was imminently about to be reunited with the Father. He was going to reassume his place in heaven, where, as it says in Scripture, the courts of heaven declare night and day, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, Jesus is imminently anticipating that reunion. And yet it was at that moment in which he demonstrated the depth of his servant nature to his disciples. Because when it says that the Father had given all things into his hands, it refers not only to the glories that were due Jesus, but it also, in all things, also include my sin, your sin, and the sins of the world was being given to him as well. So Jesus was also imminently facing that reality as well as he was his homecoming. So that's our context as well. 
the deeper symbolism of the washing of feet of spiritual cleansing that was Jesus' work as a servant on earth. And as a servant, he washed all of his disciples' feet, including the feet of Judas Iscariot, the one he knew would betray him. That just gives me goosebumps. And we could very easily get caught up in a theological rabbit trail chasing down the implications of that fact. But I'm just going to simply say, for my purposes and for ours in this sermon, if Jesus included Judas Iscariot in the object lesson of servanthood and humility, where do I draw the line on who I'm to serve and who I'm supposed to show compassion to? So Jesus declares the importance of being a servant. He's demonstrated the importance of being a servant, of diakonos. And finally, he teaches us and his disciples by doing it, by dying for us as our servant. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Because of his love, he served. God so loved the world, he gave us his son. And Jesus so loved us, he died for us. To love is to serve. I don't think you can truly say you love someone unless you're willing to serve them. To subjugate a part of yourself to their good. To subsume your desires and your wants to their needs. To love is to serve. To serve is to love. And there's no better example of this kind of love and this kind of service than Jesus on the cross. And it relates to us in this way. In Philippians, it says, Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ declared the importance, he demonstrated it, and he did it. As it says in Philippians, he's called each one of us to that role, to be a servant. There aren't any exceptions to that. If we in this room are all Christians, we're all servants. It is without exception. The early church, though, as we read in the other passage from, that Mike did for us, the early church realized that in order to function as Jesus had commanded, they needed leaders for service. Jesus was a servant leader, and his church needed servant leaders, and still does. So that's why we saw that passage in Acts about the early church and what they did in order to institute that service leadership. The reason it was done is that the early church was heavily involved with service. We see in this passage that there was going on a daily distribution of food to the needy. And yet the leaders of the church were overwhelmed by all that was going on. That sounds familiar. Who did they choose then? If you look at the passage, they chose out of their own congregation. 
they chose men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Those are qualifications more of a spiritual nature. For example, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And later it says in Acts, he was full of grace and power. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen became a martyr of the church. And his testimony to the Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem was what led to his death, the death that Saul, later Paul, was a part of. Philip, also mentioned as one of these first deacons, was the one who first seized on the vision of worldwide spreading of the world, of the word. He went and evangelized the Sumerians, and it was he that baptized that God-fearing Ethiopian eunuch. So the men that were chosen to do this were men of substance and men that God was working mightily through. So what was the impact of this? A more efficient distribution of food? The passage also says, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. ESV Study Bible has a great note about this last phrase. The lower ranks of the priesthood numbered in the thousands, of whom many were poor and may have first been attracted to Christianity because of the Christian's charity, which was shown under the guidance of the newly appointed deacons. So for these deacons, theirs may have been a ministry to people's physical needs, but it had a profound spiritual impact. And things are not that different for us now as they were in the early church. We've installed servant leaders, not surrogates for service. Our responsible our responsibility as believers is to serve and to serve in our body. So in the teaching, in the life of Jesus, in the leading of the Holy Spirit of the early church, we've had the importance of diakonos declared, demonstrated, done, and now servant leaders designated for us. And yet that responsibility is still with each one of us. As I look out on, on our congregation, we have an amazing congregation. We have people that are so dedicated to serving in this body. I can look and make eye contact with just about every person in here and know that there is some aspect of the ministry of this church that you're involved in. This room doesn't get set up without you. Our Sunday school doesn't happen. The nursery workers who aren't here now are there. The children's church, all this happens because you're involved. And it really is amazing the percentage of people that are involved in making Two Rivers happen. And I thank you for that. I also acknowledge that it's not easy. And it can be really hard. And our challenge, I think, our struggle is to take joy in service and not have it be a burden for us. In Hebrews 12, it says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He took joy because he saw beyond the pain of the cross. And what was his joy? It was your salvation. It was my salvation. That was the joy that he was experiencing, that he endured that pain for. So for us, 
how can we take joy in our service? When you're lugging nursery equipment down the hall for the third week in a row, when you're in nursery changing a dirty diaper, when you're up baking cookies at midnight because you forgot about the church picnic, when you're stacking chairs and you're the <clears throat> first person here and you're the last person to leave, when you're putting signs up in the pouring rain, when you're going to small group after having a particularly dispiriting day at work, when you're being asked to help someone, give them a ride to church, do something for someone that you're not even comfortable being around, when you have to go to one more meeting in the middle of the week and you're driving 30 minutes to that meeting, when you'd rather just stay home, when you're substituting for Sunday school at the last minute, when you're praying for the same thing in small group that you've prayed about for the last year and haven't seen any progress on, when you're trying to corral some child who absolutely will not listen to you in children's church, when you're trying to find batteries for a microphone that won't work, when there are no cups for coffee, no bread for communion, you're folding bulletins or getting here the last minute or any number of thankless and frustrating tasks, where's the joy? Where's the joy in all of that? I think it's simple. In every way and in every act, you are being used by God to build his kingdom. There is no act that's too small. There is no person that is too insignificant for God to use. You may never know, you may never see the impact of your service, but you're having one. A kindness shared, a favor done, a joy shown can change someone's life, and you may never know it. You may never know the impact you're having on these children that you care for in the nursery. How will others know that we're Christians? By the way that we love each other. And how will we love each other? By serving each other. You're being used by God to build his kingdom, to take joy in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this teaching from your word, for the extraordinary service that your son has done on our behalf, for the continuing way that you work in our lives to sanctify us and to call us to greater service. Lord, we want to be more like Christ, so make us more attentive, more open to the Spirit's leading. Help us see the joy that you have set before us in serving one another and give that joy to us so that we can share it with others. Lord, I thank you for this congregation and for the way that they support each other and pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue to do so even when the times are hard. And we thank you again for all of this in Christ's name. Amen.